This message was originally given at Covenant Baptist Church in Valdosta, Georgia. Let's listen to the Word of God from our Sunday morning service. Uh, here at the church, man. And our, and our reason, our purpose for gathering together is still the same. Nothing has changed. And I pray, I pray that your heart is seeking to know God, to know Him more, and to know, man, this fantastic letter in Ephesians from our dear brother Paul. So if you have your Bibles, let's go ahead and turn to Ephesians chapter 1. And I think for the sake of context, we'll go through the entire chapter again, but we'll primarily just focus on verses 15 through 23. And as Pastor Jason said earlier, too, this is uh, this is actually the first part of a two-part series, I, I believe, as far as where my studies are right now. And so we'll deal with the first couple of verses in this section this morning. In 2000, one of my favorite movies first came out. Remember the Titans. Many of you have seen the movie and you know the story. It stars Denzel Washington, who plays Coach Herman Boone, the head football coach for T.C. Williams in Alexandria, Virginia. The movie is based off a true story, and man, it's a good one. I think I told Michael Lee a couple weeks ago, sometimes I watch this movie to get ready to preach, and I did again yesterday, so <laughs> I'm coming from, coming from this little this inspiration here. Um, a movie that begins with racial tensions and hatred actually ends in, in unity and, and hope. But how? How, how, does it, how does this take place? Coach Boone does the unthinkable. He inspires and unites the players, both white and black and from all backgrounds, into being one dominant force on the field. One of my favorite scenes in the movie is when the boys are at camp. I mean, things are clearly not working. They're fighting. They're talking about each other's mama. It's not good. It's not good at all. And the players are still at odds with one another. But Coach Boone, he has a plan. He has a plan to inspire them. So what does he do? He wakes them up for an early run. I think it was maybe 3 in the morning. I wouldn't be doing that. And the boys are woken up early in the morning. It's cold. It's foggy. And they go out for a run. And after they go through and after they run through the night, they, they finally stop. And, and they stop at a place where Coach Boone asked the players, do any of you guys recognize this? Do, do, you, do you recognize the place where we are? Not to his surprise, not, and, and, and not to his surprise, he knew. No one, no one knew. They didn't know where they were or where they landed. So he proceeds to tell them the spot where they're actually at is Gettysburg, where he tells them 50,000 soldiers lost their lives over a war that resembles the same battle they were fighting present day. And listen to what Boone says when he's talking to the boys or the players when they're there at that cemetery. Listen to their souls, men. I killed my brother with malice in my heart. Hatred destroyed my family. You listen and take a lesson from the dead. If we don't come together right now on this hollow ground, we too will be destroyed just like they were. 
I don't care if you like each other, but you will respect each other. And I don't know, maybe we'll learn to play this game like men. I love that scene. From that point of the movie, it takes a dramatic turn. The majority of the players, they've heard the message and they're bought in. They're inspired by Coach Boone's speech. And what's the result? Teamwork, unity, and man, passion. And these guys got it. They, 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 they got it. They, they understood teamwork. They understood unity. And they understood passion. And they harness all of that energy they're wasting on hating each other into one common goal. They want to win a championship. And so they leave training camp united and end up becoming the state champions in 1971 by going undefeated that year. They reached their goal. And Coach Boone led them to it. He's taken a group of players filled with tension, diversity, and potential. Potential for greatness. And what does he do? He harnesses it. He inspires them to become something more than just a group of football players. He inspires them to become a team. He inspires them to become men. What a picture. A powerful picture of what it looks like when everybody's chasing after the same prize. I mean, this is a lesson for us to understand. This is a lesson for the church In order for us to be united, we have to figure out the one thing that's bringing us together. I mean, what is it? What is it that inspires us to be the church? What is it that brings us all together from different walks and ages and social classes of life? What is it? What is our inspiration? What is your inspiration for living? Uh, The title for this sermon is is simply this, living inspired by the gospel, Paul's prayer and the power of God through Christ Jesus. And so let's return back to Ephesians and let's just start from the beginning because, you know, as Pastor Jason laid the foundation in the past couple of weeks, we cannot forget what was mentioned in 3 through 14. It's just too good. So Paul says this in verse 1, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, To the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God, our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoptions as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he has lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the, fulfillment, for the fullness of time, to unite all things, things in he- or, excuse me, to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also... 
when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him were sealed with the, whole, with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire a possession of it to the praise of his glory. In our text for this morning, for this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and a revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age to come. And he put all things under his feet, and he gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all and in all. Let us pray. Our Father and our most gracious God, this is your holy word, the great book, the great letter of Ephesians. God, it's perfectly laid out for us, and we here as Christians in the 21st century can still learn about you from your word, from my brother Paul. And my prayer, Father, this morning is for our church. It's for your saints, the holy ones that you have set apart before the foundation of the world for a particular purpose. I'm praying that you work in our lives, God. As Paul is just voice here, he has, he's specific with his words and his prayers. And he wants us to understand you more and more and more through wisdom, through revelation, and through your power. And God, and, and the things that we have already confessed before you, through the scriptures, through the songs, through our prayers, we are echoing these things to each other and to you because we believe these are the things that, that grow us more into Christ, that teach us more about Christ, that teach us more about the gospel. So that's what we need, God. So you work in what you do best. Protect us from the evil one. Protect us from distractions. But God, pierce the heart of the one here this morning who is struggling to believe in you. Pierce the heart of the one this morning, Father, who is in a season of frustrating doubt and darkness. Encourage them, God. Because you are good, and your word testifies to that. And so as we rely on you and the power of the Holy Spirit, inspire us, God. Inspire us as a church to live out the truths here mentioned in the book of Ephesians. And we pray all these things in Christ's most holy and precious name. Amen. You know, for the past couple of weeks, we've been hearing from Pastor Jason about the, the eulogy, right, verses 3 through 14. And that sets the foundation 
And I think he's right for the rest of the book. Because if we understand what's mentioned here, the heart and soul of 3 through 14, we can start building upon the lessons and the verses that follow what was laid down. Everything that follows on from, from 15 forward builds upon the truth presented in verses 3 through 14. Think about it. What you believe, what you hear, and what you see in these verses, 3 through 14, will directly impact your life, either for or against the cause of Christ. And as Christians, our, goals are, our goal is to not be against it. Our goal is to be genuinely, passionately, and unashamedly for the cause of the Lord Jesus Christ. I think about the truths mentioned in 3 through 14. Think about the phrases where you see in him or in Christ. In him, we are chosen. In him, we are predestined. In him, we are redeemed. In him, we have an inheritance. In him, we are sealed by the Holy Spirit. These are truths that are real, that are actual, that are for us, the church. If there is anything that should give you hope, or if there is anything that should give you inspiration. This is it. So we need to build upon this, okay? You know, remember, Ephesus is is a port city in, in the Mediterranean. It was a great city both in population and in wealth. In reality, it was a powerhouse. It was a city known for its economy, agriculture, and religion. One scholar says this, from 100 B.C. to 100 A.D., Ephesus was at the center of religious activity, meaning this city attracted people from all walks of life, and along with them came their religious practices, right? Ephesus was a place that was consumed with the dark power of this present world. Metzger says this, of all the ancient Greco-Roman cities, Ephesus was by far the most hospitable to magicians, sorcerers, and charlatans of all sorts. And many in the church came from this background. They were living in sin, inspired by sin, and consumed by the forces of evil and dark powers in this present world. Does that sound familiar? That was me and you. But God... The grace of God that we're going to talk about in chapter 2 very soon took, took place in their lives. This letter, Ephesians, was, lit, was written for the people to understand the gospel, the work of Christ, the power of Christ, and their transformation through him. It was written to teach the people of God. It was written to teach them how to live inspired by the gospel. This is why Paul stresses the grace of God. It's why he gives us pictures of faith, love, and hope to the believers. That's through Christ. These biblical truths are the foundations for our hearts to live passionately for the kingdom of God. God's truth is what sets holy living apart from moral living. The truth of God changes everything about a person inside and out. And in the ancient world, you remember, it was more focused on the outward. The gospel transforms both inward and outward. A transformation takes place 
One scholar says this on the transforming work of Christ. Truth is not merely a set of facts. This truthful, life-giving, and transformative performance is something that, that uh, uh, excuse me, is something the church is, is to study, to talk about, to learn, and ultimately to, to perform. In doing so, the church will grow up into Christ, embodying the life and the love of God on earth. Christ transform, uh, transforms us to being people just like him. The church has been called by God, set apart before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless like him. It's not a burden for us to live. Rather, it's, it's, it's a special calling. I mean, are, are we inspired by the truth of the gospel? If not, uh, my invitation, my encouragement to you is to check your heart today. Ask yourself what needs to change. So as, we work our ba- so as we work our way back to the text, let's listen to the truths. Let's celebrate the power of God and focus on what Paul is trying to teach us about our faith. I mean, I'm sure many of you are struggling. I'm sure at some point in your life you felt the emptiness of life. You felt the confusion. You feel like, is this it? I did. All through high school, middle school and high school, I did as well. But God and his sovereignty has been working and is continuing to work. And I'm appealing, I'm begging you to recognize that in your life. If your faith journey is stale right now, the word of God is what you need to wake you up. My friends, we got to wake up. Trust in the Lord and go after him above everything in our life. And so as we look back at 15 through 23, we're just going to focus on verses 15 through 19. And we'll break these up into a couple sections. So let's go back to verse 15. Faith and love, two marks of the church. Paul says this, For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus... And your love toward all the saints. If you remember, Jason told us 3 through 14 is actually one long run-on sentence. Crazy. In original language. Imagine diagramming or or grading that if you're an English teacher. It would be terrible. It probably would have been a nightmare. (laughs) It just keeps going and going and going and going. But if one long run-on sentence isn't enough, how about another one? 15 through 23? It's another, it's another long run-on sentence. <laughs> verse 15 begins with, with uh, another long run-on sentence that ends in verse 23. Imagine Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, writing these two sections. It's like he can't put his pen down. He's like, all right, let me, let me tell you what Christ has done. Let me, let me tell you another thing. Let me tell you another thing. Paul's like the Energizer Bunny. And what's he doing? And he keeps going and going and going. But notice both sections, 3 through 14 and 15 through 23, they're actually connected to each other. This means you can't separate the truths found in the first section, 3 through 14, from what what follows in 15 and 23. The first part is the foundation, and the second part is the response. It's, It's important to understand how this section relates to the previous one. Because it helps us understand the heart of the Apostle Paul. 
I mean, Paul, Paul why, why are you so excited? Why are you thankful? Why, why do you love the church? Answer, Christ has done something nobody in this world can ever, has ever done. He has saved us from our sins. He has given us a new name. He has given us an inheritance, and we are sealed by the Holy Spirit. The joy and blessing we get to experience in this life and in the one to come is because of Jesus the Christ. Faith is what brings us back to God. We, come, we become part of God's family through faith in the Lord Jesus. And this makes sense. This makes sense why Paul is celebrating and he's thankful for them. Because he understands what grace means and he understands the context of where the church in Ephesus was in. This city is far from anything holy. It's wicked. It's just like any other major city filled with sinners and no and destruction. But there's hope. The gospel can even save wicked sinners in Ephesus. Notice two things in verse 15. Paul has heard of their faith. And second, he identifies them with two specific marks. They have faith in the Lord Jesus and they love the saints. First, there, there are a few possibilities here in explaining how Paul heard their faith. I mean, someone maybe from the church could have sent him a personal letter updating him about the church and the ministry. Or because Paul, you know, because Paul used Ephesus or Ephesus was his base for, for ministry for several years, he, he probably could have heard from the leadership or somebody in the community in those churches giving him an update of what's taking place in Ephesus. Paul hears about their faith. And he responds. Either way, an update of the church came back to Paul. And what was he like? He was ecstatic about what he heard. And what was in the report? Paul hears in the report a description of the church. This church is identified by two specific marks. They're described by faith in the Lord Jesus and love toward all the saints. What a combination. What a way to be described as a church. Uh, an early church father and one that if you've never heard of, I encourage you to read, John Chrysostom. He says this about the two marks regarding faith and love. He, on all occasions, knits together and combines faith and love. They are a glorious pair. They are a glorious pair. Faith and love are a glorious pair. And so as Paul is responding back to this church, he makes sure to identify these specific things in them. And he lets us know why he's thankful for them and why he's praying for them. Paul lets them know why he's thankful and he's praying for them because of their faith in the Lord Jesus and their love for the saints. Notice the source of their faith. The source of their faith is in the Lord Jesus. This is highly important. This is important because it shows us a few things about this church. First, their faith is in no other God. It's in no other ruler or emperor. But it's, it's rather in the Lord Jesus. And if you remember, this is a highly religious city. It's, it's under Roman rule. 
And the majority fall in, in one of those camps in, in the community. They're, they're either pledging their allegiance to their false gods or they're submitting to Roman rule and leadership for their lives. But for Christians, our allegiance is different. Our allegiance is to someone else. It's to Jesus alone and to no one else. Having faith in Jesus is more than an outward confession. It's a political and religious statement. Aligning with Jesus means you obey and follow all of his commands while rejecting the false and wicked ideologies of this world. Ephesians 1, 4, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. Faith is mentioned eight times in this letter. Here in 115, where it describes and identifies the source of our faith. In 2.8, it's described as a gift from God. In 3.12, it's our confidence. In 3.17, it allows Christ to dwell in our hearts. In 4.5, it's our confession. In 4.13, faith unites us, the church, to each other. And in 6.16, faith is our shield. And Paul closes in typical fashion with peace and love in 6.23. This is what faith is for us. It's our ticket. It unites us to God. It doesn't come from us. But man, when it's focused on the right source, that being the Lord Jesus Christ, it transforms our hearts. Next, notice the expression of their faith. You notice that when their faith is placed in the right source, something happens. Something is produced. And Paul recognizes their, their faith is they're represented by their love toward all the saints. When their faith is centered on the Lord Jesus, they can't help but love the church. They can't help but love the holy ones in their congregation. The gospel has pierced their heart and they have seen a former mage, a former sorcerer. They've seen children. They've seen adults. They've seen people from all walks of life make the same confession and they're compelled to love each other with a love that's divine. John 13 says this, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another just as I have loved you. You are also to love one another. By all this, people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And if there is one thing that I personally am thankful for this church, it is that. I've seen the way you've loved. I've seen the way that you have loved others and loved us. And it's powerful. It's tangible. You've brought meals You've sacrificed your time. You've prayed for those who are hurting. You've prayed for those who are in sin. You have applied the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ to your life. And it motivates me to be more like Jesus. That's the church. Our two characteristics, at least what Paul's identifying here. He, he, he gives two marks that focuses on faith and love. The love that they have seen comes from knowing the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is the very same love that they have for each other. 
And so what does Paul do? He recognizes this. He affirms this because it is legitimate. It is genuine. And this is the kind of love that Jesus has, was teaching his disciples in the Gospels. And can you believe it? It's a reality in my life and in your life if you're in Jesus. To love the unlovable. I was talking with someone this week. He's like, man, I appreciate you loving me, someone who's unlovable. I was like, brother, no, we're, we're both unlovable. <laughs> we've made mistakes. We're, we've been in deep seasons of sin. But because of the grace and love of God, we can. We can love each other. It's, it's, it's difficult. It can be. I know. Ask my wife. <laughs> it's, sometimes that can be very frustrating. But the power and the love of God transcends things that are difficult and are painful and are frustrating, you know? And so if you know the love of God in that way, you show it to the church. We don't have to force your hand. It's natural. It's beautiful. And man, it is powerful. As their love for Christ grows, their love for each other will grow. Paul tells us later in the letter, they will learn how to bear with one another. They'll learn how to speak the truth in love. They will learn how to walk in love as Christ has loved us. And we'll be able to love our spouses, our friends, our children, and any other relations we have in a church or in the community just as Christ has loved us. The love of God transforms us into loving people like him and loving him above all things. This love that we share here in this church, it is tangible. It is recognizable. And we see it in the lives of those who are redeemed by Christ. So ask yourself, does, does the way you love point others to Christ? Are you passionate about this gospel? That you want to be a picture or a representation of what Jesus looks like? I mean, we can strive for that. We can. When you look at how, if you look at the life of Christ and focus on his work and his grace and his mercy and his love, you can't help but see that's what it means to be a human being. That's what it means to have life. Jesus, give me more of Jesus. Does this describe you? Are you consumed by the love and the grace of God that produces a love for the church that's described in Ephesians? If not, ask yourself why. You may have legitimate reasons of why you're struggling. And I have, man, I've struggled in so many ways. I have fought to love people. I have fought so hard to love people. I'm not perfect at it, and neither are you. But that's where we rely on a power that comes from somebody else, namely the work of Christ to do the unthinkable, to live inspired by the gospel and love the unlovable. So if you have legitimate reasons of why you're struggling, ask yourself why. Don't stay there. Fight for your faith and love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And in doing so, join a church. 
and love the people there. Love the people in this room right now. There are so many people in our congregation who are hurting. We've had deaths. We've had people who are suffering in so many ways. And my job and your job is to help them get through it. Be the representation of Christ in their life and help them understand the Lord is here. He has never left you. He has never forsaken you. Be consumed by the love of God so that this church will be transformed. And our inspiration will not be for our goals, our kingdoms, our lives, but for the cause of the Lord Jesus Christ. I get it. This is not a perfect church. It's not. We understand that. But we can work under the lordship of the Lord Jesus Christ and refocus our goals on what is primary. If we do that, we will be a church consumed by the love of God and identified by our faith in Christ and our love for one another. In verses 16 and 18, we we have a prayer of thanksgiving. And Paul's specifics in his prayer. He says this in 16, I do not cease to give thanks for you. What a reaction, a response. I do not cease to give thanks for you. What Paul is showing us here, he is excited. He is celebrating them. He, his blood pressure is up. I'll just say that. He, his blood pressure is up because of their faith and their love. And what does he do? He remembers them in his prayers. We see Paul's thankfulness for the church. He demonstrates to us how he's thankful for them. And how is he thankful for them? He, he prays for them. If you want to show another person in the church that you genuinely, genuinely love them, you take them by the arm, you wrap your arm around them, and you pray with them. You pray for them. Paul models intentional love. He, he models intentional love, and he also shows us how and what we need to pray. This is why the content of our prayers is, is so important. I mean, it's, we don't teach here at this church that you have to have the, the right and the perfect same. No, no, we don't teach that. But what are you praying for? If we're not careful, we could fall into the trap of repeating the same words or phrases that we've learned over the years that are actually not biblical. We substitute the content for biblical prayers with, unfortunately, empty words and phrases that sound biblical, but are not grounded in Scripture. We ask God to give us this, bless me with that. But do we ever ask God to give him or to give us more, give us more of him? Do we ask God to give us more knowledge and wisdom of him? Do we ask God to give us a deeper understanding of faith, a deeper understanding of his power in the Holy Spirit in our lives? Verse 17 continues with the the specifics of his prayer, his his intercessory prayer. He says is that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you, this is his prayer, may give you more of the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. And what is an intercessory prayer? It is a prayer that acts on behalf of another person. All too often when I'm by myself, I'm praying for myself, just to be honest. But when I'm around you or others, my heart begins to change. 
And I'm still, I'm still practicing it. I'm still trying to practice more praying for you on a daily basis. But Paul teaches the things that we're supposed to be praying for each other. The specifics. He focuses on us having an increasing wisdom and knowledge of God. Paul is more interested in the church's spiritual health, not their physical well-being. I mean, we pray for it. It's good to pray for that. But he focuses on their spiritual health, the wisdom and knowledge of God. And I think that's interesting. Verse 17, we, we see here Paul's doxology. That's, that's deeply rooted in Trinitarian theology. His prayer is to God. And how does he describe God? He is the glorious Father. You know, the glory that was mentioned in 3 through 14 in three separate sections, that's the glory he's kind of referring back to. This is the Father. He is the glorious Father. Next to the Son, Jesus our Lord. And lastly, but not least, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of wisdom. His request for the church is to have more of God, not less. And Paul prays that God may give the saints continuing wisdom and knowledge of him. One author says, is what emerged in the praising of God in the eulogy is confirmed in the intercession. It is God who elects. It is God who calls himself and guarantees for the faithful attainment of their heavenly inheritance through the gift of the Spirit. Christian, do you know this? Do you hear what Paul is saying? Are you understanding? Do you want to live a life that's inspired by the gospel? Do you want to know God more so that your faith becomes a reality of every second of every day? Of every day? Then you must pray to God. You must pray to God to work in your life. Ask God to give you more of him. Why? How, Paul? So the eyes of our hearts may be awakened to this reality. In order to illustrate this, this analogy, I think what Paul is saying here is interesting. Paul prays for the, heart, for the eyes of the hearts to be enlightened with this knowledge. You know, it was believed by many in the first century that the heart, the organ, was the center of all reason and thought. The heart is the inner perception of what a person desires and thinks. So, so when Paul uses this metaphor, his prayer is for the saints to be awakened by a deeper reality and knowledge of God. For, for what purpose? For the purpose of producing more confidence, more trust, more faith, more hope, more love in the riches of Christ Jesus. I mean, that's how we need to pray. That's how we need to pray. Praying for each other to continue to grow in wisdom and knowledge of God. Because what that does in my life and in your life, it gives you hope. Confident hope that no matter what you are going through, the Lord Jesus is there. I was reminded again this week of what that hope looks like. A dear family suffering through so much. But the brother, even in the midst of his pain, he says this. Because of Christ, I have hope. I'm not defeated. I'm not broken. 
I will see him again. The the reality of hope increases more and more as we dig deeper into the scriptures, as we intercede and pray for one another, and then we ask God to give it to us. Our, Our prayers need to be consumed by this biblical teaching. We can pray for protection, yes. We can pray for, for you know, health. We, we can pray for those who are, yes, those are good things. But don't forget the fundamentals. Don't forget the foundation. Ask God to give us more and more of him so that you know how to handle these situations. You know how to handle, you know how to handle a situation with your kids, with your spouse, with that coworker with the pain that you are going through right now. Jerome says this, It is without effort that we come to know the hope of our calling and the riches of God's inheritance in the saints. This effort, in fact, comes in response that the renewing gift which God himself gives in the glorious resurrection of his own son. This gift he gives is not once, but continual. This is not just a once in a lifetime thing that takes place in our life. Knowing God, the wisdom of God. This is not just a one-time thing. And it's not like an abstract truth. It is a heaven reality, it's a heavenly reality that's personified and given to us by the Lord Jesus Christ. The hope that we have to live this life day after day is the hope of a glorious Savior who has been resurrected from a grave. And it was just this week. Ascension Day took place. Where, where again, we see the evidence of the work of Christ. Go back to his father. What is he doing right now? He is sitting. He is reigning. He is alive. Through Christ, your adoption is solidified. Through Christ, your inheritance is secured. Through Christ, nothing can be taken away from you if you are a son and daughter of Jesus. If you are in him, you are with him forever. You are blessed because of God. So, so what, do we, what do you say when you normally pray? I mean, have you ever been in a season where you felt like your, your prayers are just stale or, or they're just empty? I mean, one reason for that could possibly be that you just don't know how to pray. And I don't want it to be sound insulting in any way at all. I mean, has everyone ever taken you and disciple you and say, hey, this is how we pray. This is what we pray for. This is how we pray to God. If not, I encourage you, man, let's explore what it means to pray. Let's explore what it means to confess our sins before God and praise him with the words that we see on the pages in here in front of us. Or maybe another reason why we were struggling with prayer is, is that you're in a season of sin. You've, you've taken your eyes off the cross and you focus it on the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life and you're consumed by the dark powers of this world. That's why you feel empty and stale. You've, you've forsaken the work of Christ for an idol. I mean, if that's you, my, my friend, I'm praying, let, me, let us know. Let's, get, let's pray for you to get you out of that season of life. Let's recognize. Let's go back to 3 through 14 and recognize what Christ has accomplished. 
what he's accomplished and what he's done for you. Confess, rejoice, and thank God for this work. Continue in this, in this path of getting to know God more. And then pray. Pray for a deeper knowledge of God that transforms your heart and transforms your understanding of life. Let your, let your prayers be filled with a hunger for God, not a thirst for this world. My friends, pay, it's important for us to, to pay attention to the specifics of our prayers. If you want to engage in a deeper relationship with God, learn from Paul and simply begin by asking God, enlighten me with the wisdom. Show me, what, what is this wisdom that you're talking about, God? What is this wisdom? <clears throat> you know, we, we learn about wisdom in the Old Testament. And so the writer of Proverbs says this. To know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing and righteousness and justice and equity, to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. Let the wise hear and increase in learning. And the one who understands obtain guidance. To understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and the riddles, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. If you are seeking to know more about God in this life, you have to start there. You have to start with the fear of God and understanding him. The, the specifics of our prayers. And in 19... We see the power of God. Paul continues. Let me, let, me, let me start back in verse 18. Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, and what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. Verse 19. And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might. And along with his prayer, and asking for continuing wisdom and knowledge of God, Paul also prays for them to understand the power of God. I mean, let's think about that. Paul has shown us at least three things that we should be praying for. Continuing wisdom, continuing knowledge of God, and now an understanding of his power. We should be praying like this. We should ask God to give us a deeper understanding of his power in our lives. You know, there are multiple ways in how to view, to, in how to view the word power here in Ephesians. But, but, but to simplify it, Paul deals with power in two ways. There is a power that comes from the world and there is a power that comes from God. Ephesians 6 for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. There is a present power in this world that is real, that's evil and spiritual. And we still see it today. We see the effects of drugs, money, and fame. We see the effects of 
People on Instagram, influencers and celebrities who flaunt their life in selfish ideologies. We see them consume with so much of themselves and no regard for God. And what is it doing? It's separating them from what it means to be human. It's separating from God and they are dead and their trespasses and sin. We see this power present in this world. And maybe you're there this morning. Maybe sin has a grip on you and you feel its power right now. Remember, Ephesus is dark. It's it's a dark town that's involved in all forms of magical powers. If there was a city that understood power, or at least what they identified as powerful, it would have been them. But we see in Acts 19, the grace of God worked through this, this city and has saved members from this life to a new one. This congregation, the churches in Ephesus have experienced a new power in their lives. And they, they're starting to understand the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. They're starting to understand the power of the resurrection. Ephesians 2, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins. And once you once walked, that has to hit us square in the face. You once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of, a dis, of, of disobedience, among whom we all once live in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. And we're by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, circle those words, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love of which he loved us even when we were dead in our trespasses. Or how about a crass, how about a crass translation? Even when you were dead, not alive, sin has destroyed you. God has made you alive through Christ. A miracle. That, that, that's power. We get our English word dynamite from, from the, the, the word in Greek. Dynamis. Dynamis. Don, Mr. Don, forgive me for uh, mispronouncing that. <laughs> dynamite. We, we get the word dynamite from this word power here. It can mean ability, miracle, might, and power. So as Paul is praying for the church to understand this power in Christ. He's asking God to give us a deeper understanding of the resurrection of Christ Jesus. And how does Paul describe the power of God? He describes it as immeasurable in verse 19. Meaning it's incomparable. There is no other power in the world that can compare or rival God. He alone is supreme. He alone is king. He alone is the one on the throne. And this is for us. This is for you and for me if you have faith. Have you ever experienced that power before in your life? Have you ever been in a season where you felt like, man, it's just not worth it? I can't overcome the sin. I can't overcome this season of of depression, tragedy, and loss. I'm sinking. I'm sinking, and I need help. 
You know, in my life, I've, I remember distinctly, and it's just recently, seeing God's power work in specific ways. I mean, if you ask Michael and Jason, there have been seasons where I'm just, I'm done. I would love to find a new job. <laughs> I would love to quit. I would love to escape and take the easy route. But through prayers, through friends, through the word of God, through reminders of the work of Christ, through understanding the power of the resurrection, God worked in my life as he's working in your life to overcome the insecurities, to overcome the sin, to overcome the hate, to overcome the powers in this world for the kingdom of God. That is powerful. To be possessed by God and to live for him and you willingly submit to that, man, that, that, that's living. That is inspiration. That is, is what, that's, that's what it means to be a human being. Understanding the power of the resurrection and living it out in practical ways. John eleven twenty five 25 says this. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes, whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Romans 8, 9. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If, if in fact, the spirit of God dwells in you, Anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give you life to your mortal bodies through the spirit who dwells in you. This is exactly what was prophesied in the major prophets, that we will experience something that has never happened before, a transformation in our hearts and a power that does not come from us but comes from God. Ezekiel 36, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleanliness and from your idols I will cleanse you. God, I believe that. I need you to take the idols out of my life. Take the idols out of the life of this church and, and, and the members. Take them away from us. And what will you do, God? You will cleanse us from our idols and you will give us a new heart and a new spirit. And I will put that within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh. And I will give you the heart of flesh. The power that Paul is praying for us to understand is the immeasurable greatness and might of the almighty God who is sitting and reigning right now. And he tells us that this power is for us. This is what gives us hope. This is what gives us confidence. This is what gives us peace. Because this life, it is fleeting. This is not our home.
This is the reason why we are alive. You know, we'll expound more upon the power of God next week. But as we prepare and get ready to talk about that next Sunday, I'm asking you to prayerfully consider what does the power of God or the resurrection of Christ Jesus mean for you in your life? Does it affect you? Does it give you hope? Does it, does it show you your, 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 your weakness? Simply put, God's power brings dead men to life through faith in Jesus Christ. This is something that's real for us to live out right now. And Christians, we, we don't often talk about this. We don't, we don't often talk about the power of God inside of us to, to do his work. Oftentimes we rely on our own strengths and our skills. But stop, pray, and recognize the work of God. And ask God to give you a deeper wisdom and knowledge and power of him so that you can live this life as an image bearer of God, faithful to him, living inspired by the gospel. So, so what is your inspiration? What, what does it mean to, to live this life? What, what, what motivates you to live? You know, as we close, there are, there are a couple things that I, I want to challenge us to consider. The first is this, our, our inspiration it can't come from us. It has to come from a different source. Paul goes back, faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. If our inspiration is not in God or the finished work of Jesus Christ, then you're not living inspired by the gospel. You're not powerfully living this life through the Lord Jesus. And maybe you're not saved. Maybe you've been in my position before. You've grown up in the church all your life but you've never learned how to live inspired by the truth. Your, prayer, your prayers are more focused on yourself and material wealth and health. Interceding for somebody else is, is awkward. It's unattractive. And if that's you, I'm asking you, you know, humble yourself before God and seek him. Wake up and ask God to enlighten your heart and enlighten your mind. Second, let's reevaluate our prayers. Starting today, let's look at the words that we're saying, confessing before God. Let's learn how to pray like Paul. Ask God for more wisdom. Ask him for more knowledge. Ask him for more understanding of his power in your life. Seek the glory of the Father and seek his character. Ask God to reveal more of himself, of his grace, of his gospel to you as you pray. We don't need less of this. We need more of it. It's encouraging to hear when somebody is praying truth. It's encouraging to hear when truth is being prayed on behalf of you. I need that. You need that. Ask for more of God and not other things. And lastly, choose to live in the power of the resurrection. Choose to live in the power of God. Many of you are struggling and one reason why you could be struggling is because you're relying on your own strength. Friends, I've, I've been there. Many of you have been there. You can't sleep at night. You're focused on controlling the entire situation. You can't let go. You can't trust God. 
Cling to faith. Cling to hope. Even when your world is crashing, even when you feel like giving up, ask for others to pray for you. Do not do this alone. Ask for others to pray for you, and we will intercede for you. Just as the Holy Spirit is praying for us, we will be praying for you as your brothers and sisters in this church. So choose to live in the power of God. Choose to live your life through every situation, day by day, clinging to the power of the resurrection of Christ. As you pray, pray specifically over these things and for these things. Lean on Christ. Lean on God to help get you through this season of life. And have your eyes, the eyes of your heart, focus on this truth to understand the wealth, the depth, and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's there. He is listening. So call out to him as you pray. Our Father and our most gracious God, Lord, we need you to work in our life, and we need you to work in this church, and we need you to work in our hearts. As we think about the Apostle Paul and the letter of Ephesians, God, we're learning much about you. We're learning much about our faith and about the work of Christ, and we need to meditate on this more than anything else. We need to meditate on the fact that the Lord Jesus Christ has done a work in dead, peop in dead people's lives, and he's given us life. And so there's freedom in that. There's freedom in knowing this gospel truth, and there's freedom in living in the power of the resurrection of Christ. So I pray for my church. I pray for my friends, my, my brothers and sisters in the faith. You, you know their needs. You know where they are. You know where we're struggling. And so, Father, help us to intercede for one another. And as we are praying for each other, we're asking you, God, to enlighten our hearts in our current situation. There are some that are asking for peace and patience that during a troubling time. Give that to them. Show them uh, the, the wisdom of God and show them how to be patient in situations that are unbearable. God, God we, we're struggling to believe that you're, that you're good. We're struggling to believe that you're good. So give us the wisdom and knowledge of God through your word to show us that you're good. You have never failed. You've never, you, 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 there, there, there's nothing in your word that shows us that you are not good. So work in our lives to, to, to believe this truth. And God, maybe there's someone here in this room or watching live stream that, that they, they don't know you. They profess to know you, but, but their life, their works, their, their attitude, their, their inspiration doesn't come from you. It comes from other things. And so whether we're struggling with idols, with sin, God, awaken that individual to the reality of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let that truth penetrate their heart and awaken their eyes to living out their gospel, or living out the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ for you. I pray for this church. Lord, comfort the ones who are hurting. Love us through this, this season of life and empower us, God, to be like your son every second of every day. In Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Amen. 
Thank you for listening to this message from Covenant Baptist Church in Valdosta, Georgia. At Covenant, we strive to provide a fellowship that is sound in doctrine, biblical in practice, and loving in our relationship with each other and the community. For more from our elders and teachers, please visit us at covenantbapt.org. That's covenantbapt.org for teachings, articles, and more information about our community.